What's up, everyone? I want to tell you about a car that you are going to love. Check it out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, I love that, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. So let's say you're ready to take the family on a camping trip or something like that. The Santa Fe is perfect for you. You've got all-wheel drive. You can load everyone up in the third row. It's time to start being adventurous, and you need the right car, and that's the Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. On his way to the end zone. I'll tell you what, that was a spectacular play. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. What a play! Off to the races! some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, Heath, and Ben. Looking at the updated running back rankings post-NFL draft, a reminder to everybody, keep this in mind, in five of the last six seasons, at least two rookie running backs finished top 12. Five of the last six seasons, at least two top 12. Are we going to get that this year? What do you think, guys? Definitely possible in PPR. I won't say it's like likely, but it's possible with Harrison and ETN being the obvious candidates. What was the year that it wasn't? Miles Sanders, Josh Jacobs. They were top ah. 15. They were top 15, I want to say, in non-PPR. Jacobs was like 20th in PPR. Is this you just banging the drum for Najee Harris being a first-round pick? Is that no. what we're going to with this? No, but he has obviously has the best chance right now on yes. paper. Yeah, I would. If you set the over under on one and a half, I would definitely take the under um, for top 12 running backs this season. And this is a mega week running back class, it looks like. So they don't have quite as quite as much opportunity, it seems. I right, think we can, many candidates. we can feel comfortable. Like, I don't know about mega week, but we thought it was weak before the draft. And the NFL teams behaved as if it was even weaker than we thought it was. So I think we can go ahead and establish that it's. It's, by all indications, a bad running back class. Well, how about this? So, Michael P. Ryan shares a backfield with Michael Carter. They were both selected in the fourth round. The Jets selected P. Ryan 120th overall. They selected Carter 107th overall a year later. Uh, P. Ryan was the 12th running back selected, and Carter was the fifth running back selected. So, that's uh, just one a little bit of perspective here. That's, but That's a good, like, reminder also of not getting too excited about Michael Carter because he has this great opportunity. As far as pedigree goes, he's right there with the other guys. Yeah, but you watch him play, and he's absolutely nothing like LaMichael P. Ryan. The, he's why did he get way, to the fourth round? Size, maybe? I think size was a huge reason for it. I think horrible film of pass protecting had a lot to do with it. He's not and a he's, complete running back, but he's he not particularly fast. Running back. No, he gets but, caught from behind, but like he's, his, got, he's got burst. He's his got combine is like speed. And size, I made this joke when we were on uh, on the uh, the watch party. It was some real poetry that Leon Washington um, gave that pick because he is basically the exact same size, runs a slightly slower 40 than Leon Washington coming out of college. 
I there was by the way a little off little off topic. I don't know if anybody noticed the 40 times were really fast this year, maybe not for running backs but for wide receivers and they were all done at pro days. And they weren't done by the teams. I believe they were just done they were done by scouts, but there was no combine this year. There was an article on cbsports.com. I'm trying to find it. If you google it, just cbsports.com article why 40 yard dash times are faster at pro days than combines. It was pretty interesting and it was not because of cheating. It was because uh, the uh, the story quoted people saying these kids are a lot more relaxed at their pro day when they're at the combine they're under the lights they've done all these other things and they, they might run their 40 later things like that so that was just kind of interesting but the four like, i just couldn't help but notice how many wide receivers had really fast 40 times and uh, there was no combine this year so anyway that's that off subject. in mind he ran a four five four yeah not, um, but that's also what Carter. javante yeah. william no that's what uh yeah, that's what Javante Williams ran, I think, before five five. Yeah, this is just uh, all the more reason to completely discount forty times this year. Don't I, even bother a, looking at him. Like, I think one thing we talked about last year, and again, I'll go back to Ben Gritch, was the size, speed, score, and how incredibly off the charts Jonathan Taylor's was. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Carter's ranks in the twenty eighth percentile of all running back prospects per uh, player profiler. So. That's not very good. Do you either. have the other rookie running backs where they ranked? Uh, it wouldn't take that long. ETN was the 80th percentile. Cool. Uh, he was not, timed at, uh, what was he timed at? I got it right here. Four, 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 five. Four. And I believe what they did was they just added five hundredths of a second to everyone's time from the pro day. Oh, interesting. Um, Najee Harris did not run. Oh, that's good. <laughs> but we know how good he is. Um, and Javante Williams. 455 is what I 39th have. 39th percentile. So not very, like I said, it's not a good class. Remember the running back we were taking first last year, Clyde Edwards-Zelaer, ran a 4-6. Mm-hmm. So some people care about that stuff. Some people don't. We do have some news items to get to before we get to the rankings. Some of the things we'll be talking about, of course, where the rookies rank. If you listen to FFT and 5, you know we're going to talk about Josh Jacobs. Heath has him 15th in PPR. Dave has him 21st. Miles Gaskin, Mike Davis, they're basically back-to-back, and they're very similarly ranked for Dave, Jamie, and Heath. And um, oh, the Cardinals running backs. Chase Edmonds ahead of James Conner. That is the case uh, for in most situations. I'll explain that a little bit later, depending on format. But let's go to the news and notes real quick here. New England declined Sony Michelle's fifth-year option. And again, I explained that yesterday. Every first-round pick has a four-year deal, and the team can pick up his fifth-round option. They have to do that going into the guy's fourth season. So this is Michelle's fourth season. They had to decide now, are we going to pick up his fifth-year option, or is he going to become a free agent next season? And they have elected not to re-sign him. I guess they could franchise him in theory. They could still work out a contract with him yeah, next year. He's not under contract for next year as of now. That's what it means. But right, yeah. It just means he's easier for them to leave on the side of the road. Yeah, but it's not a vote of confidence, put it that way. I would anticipate the same move being made with Damian Harris in the uh, coming years. Right. And then yeah. eventually with Ramondre Stevenson. Yeah, well, I don't know if the... Well, no, they can't do it with those guys because they weren't first Oh, they weren't first round picks. But right. they can okay. still get ditched on the side of the road. But why? Okay, so Damian Harris was very, very good, very productive last year. There was also a report from the Athletic from Jeff Howe that said Michelle and Harris will be solid one-two combos. And the truth is, Michelle has been pretty good. Uh, I did at times. The offensive line should be better. And there's just one thing I want to look into here was was what their roles were when they both played. There were only two games all year where they both played. 
They both dealt with injuries. Harris missed the first three games. Michelle, or Harris missed the last few. Um, but there were two games where they both played. And if you just look at the numbers, the carries were pretty similar. But if you dig into the box scores, they were both blowout wins. And Harris was clearly the lead running back. So in the two games they played before either garbage time or before Harris left with an injury, Harris had 27 carries and Michelle had eight. So they went with him over Sony Michelle last year. I think that is important to note. It may it's not super evident if you just look at the numbers, but wanted to just point that out. Like the whole one two punch thing. This is a, a combo team when it comes to running the football. This is, there's no one two punch here. They've got a one, two, a three, a four, and maybe a five touching the football in the out of the backfield. So they can a one two punch is fine if it's one guy going to catch 60 passes and then can run it 80 times and he can be good for PPR. A one-two combination where James White is doing the passing work and somebody else is probably going to steal three or four touchdowns. Maybe Cam Newton's going to steal eight to ten touchdowns. Right. It's just there's no appeal at all as this team's currently constructed for me to draft Harris or Sony Michelle. I'm not sure if there will be weeks where Cam isn't the leading rusher. But wait, just attempts. But wait, he could there's leave them more. In with ten or twelve attempts. They drafted Mac Jones. What? I, you weren't because on the show gonna, on, on it Saturday. Would be surprising if Mac Jones was under center week one. It's yeah, possible. I agree. It could happen, but but let's go to the um. Let's go to the next news item. San Francisco thought Trey Lance was more ready to play right. in 2021 than Mac Jones, which is a little surprising. Ridiculous. But- Ridiculous. He's he says almost no experience. I know Mac Jones doesn't have a ton of experience, but at least Mac Jones played at Alabama, won the national championship. Trey Lance played at a different level and didn't play last year. It could be that San Francisco doesn't ever think Mac Jones is going to be ready to play quarterback Maybe. in the NFL. <laughs> Maybe, but I don't think it's going to take too much for Cam Newton. To like get if one guy's never Jones. going, then another guy could, it's always going to be closer if he might. Well, if the 49ers really feel that way, then Jimmy Garoppolo will be a Texan really soon. For or at least pick. not on the 49ers really, really soon. Oh, okay. Uh, Seattle declined Rashad Penny's fifth-year option. Same situation as Sony Michelle. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Nick Sirianni likes Kenneth Gainwell, Dave. I didn't get a chance to read the quote you sent me, so would you like he, to sum he, it up? One of the reporters in Philadelphia asked him if, if Gainwell reminded Sirianni of Naheem Hines, and... Sirianni in, in, in a way that only he, he can do just went on and on about how similar they were. And at the end of, after fawning over him for about two minutes said, so yeah, I guess you could say that he's going to be our version of Naheem Hines here in Philadelphia. So now, you know, exactly what the Eagles and, and you could have figured it out anyway. You didn't need Sirianni to spell it out for you, but he's going to use Gainwell theoretically as a third down guy, uh, airback type, someone who could be in line for as many as 80 carries and 50 catches. That's what Naheem Hines has been getting in Indianapolis and Gainwell. If he stays healthy and he proves he can handle it, he'll get that. And that hurts miles Sanders. Yeah. Do you think it does last year? Boston Scott really was not used much. He had 16 catches in the 12 games he played with miles Sanders. And Sanders, I just think regressed as a pass catcher last year. And I have a hard time believing that he's going to get that role back. You know, all the talk a year ago was how Sanders was going to be a workhorse, and now it seems like that door is closed. Well, uh, but define workhorse. Someone who's playing 75% of the snaps, getting a healthy dose of targets on top of carries each week. Well, I know he'll still be their main guy, but not 
I mean, he's clearly going to split here. I've got him projected for exactly. Now, these are 17 game numbers, so don't let this number jump out at you too much. But I have him projected for exactly 300 touches this year. Um, which is, I don't know, with a per game yet. That's 17.6 touches per game for Miles Sanders. Yeah, I'm going to take the under on that. I, I think it could be close to it. It could be right around 15. Wouldn't surprise me if he's at 13 carries a game, 14 carries a game, one or two catches a game. I had so much conviction last year with Miles Sanders. Me too. I felt so good Me about too. It. I loved him. No, I just don't yep. know. I don't know. Look, their line was obviously a mess last year. Should be much better. I don't know what Jalen Hurts does for Miles Sanders. You know, he basically, you want to say he ran so well with Jalen Hurts? No, he didn't. He had one huge run. Other than that, he didn't, he wasn't very efficient at all. And that's kind well, of the season for Sanders last year. To a I degree. Keep, like the Raiders with Josh Jacobs, I think the Philadelphia coaching staff has reason to question whether Miles Sanders can be a full workhorse back. Oh, they yeah. gave him about, he was given about six or seven games of that in 2019 and suffered an injury. And he only made it through 12 games last year. I think he's had four injuries in two years, two in training camp and two during Hamstring. the season. Yep. Okay. Next news item. Just the Eagles didn't do what the Raiders did to try and fix up their run game. Like to me, Kenyon Drake is a threat to Josh Jacobs. Gainwell is not a big enough threat to Miles Sanders. Yeah. I, okay. Postpone. Yeah. 10 minutes. We'll get yep. there. We'll get That's there. That's fine. Uh, Aaron Rodgers was apparently not happy about the team releasing Jake Kumaro. That apparently was the nail in the coffin. He liked Kumaro. They released him after he praised him. And Jake Kumaro is going to bring down the Packers empire. No, I like, I want to say something about this because I've seen a lot of that on Twitter. And it's like, it's clear that there are lots of teams, Tampa Bay being the most shining example, that just really involve their franchise quarterbacks in decision-making. It doesn't, it's not Jake Kumaro. It's that they never value his opinion about anything. They seem to view him as an employee and he wants to be part of the decision-making process and he should be. Should he be? And is yes. he not? He might, he might be. I, I, I don't know that I'm going to say they never involve him in anything. I, I don't know. I, I don't feel like he feels like his opinion is valued enough. Well, that does seem pretty clear. And Deshaun Watson was the same thing, right? He was mad. I think Russell, Russell Wilson too. was the same thing. Yeah, Russell yeah. Wilson too. And a lot of it is like, the. I think some of it probably comes from what these guys have seen happen in the NBA. But I think a lot of it has to come from what happened with Tom Brady last offseason. Like he went to yeah. a new team where he built no credit at all other than the fact that he's the GOAT. And they just said, like, anything you want. Gronk, sure. Antonio Brown, sure. Leonard Fournette, LaShawn McCoy, sure. Geo, yeah, why not? Whatever you want. And, and they, they won, won a Super Bowl. Bowl. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's what they all want. They all want to win. They all think that they can help, you know, bring in friends of theirs to put together a Super Bowl run. You think he's going to be on the, the Packers this and year? The GMs, the GM, no, I don't. And, and I think the GMs are like, no, I want to build this thing. You know, Gutenkoos has been waiting his whole life to run a team, and now he's running it. it, it it's not pretty, but it I don't pretty. think that he's in a position to just, you know, hand everything over to Aaron Rodgers and say, okay, Aaron, you know, let's go get all your friends. You know, he wants to have a say in how this team is shaped, too. I, know, a good um, job. They, I still kind of think Trey Lance is going to be a Packer. What'd you say, Heath? I still kind of think Trey Lance is going to be a Packer. 
Nope. I I think they're you know look, drafting Jordan Love and AJ Dillon was weird, but you can't argue they've had a success. They've been very good. They've they've made some some smart decisions. Baltimore. And why, why have they been good? Well, of course, of course. But look, they two years ago when they went out and they got the Smiths, that was that was big. Um, that's why they made the NFC. No, of course it's Aaron Rodgers. Of course it's Aaron Rodgers. But right, Aaron Jones was a great pick. I don't remember exactly what was Gutenkust, how long he's been there. Aaron Jones was a steal. Um, they've built an offensive line that's very good. I know they lost Corey Lindsley. Hopefully they replace him with. A, they drafted a guy, the center that uh, they drafted. Yeah, who's pretty good. Yep. Um, Jair Alexander. It's great. Yep. They've done some good things, you know. Yeah. Well, they've done one bad thing. They've pissed off their all-pro quarterback who is coming off of an MVP season. He doesn't you he know? seem a little prickly though. I don't think it's it doesn't seem... you feel that way too? Adam, you if you had you've won the podcast host of the year award, <laughs> right? Imagine if CBS Sports hired um you know, the next great podcast host to just sit and wait in the wings. And maybe they have. Hi, Frank Stample. Uh, and to like, <laughs> just wait until your contract is over. And then when your contract is over, they're just going to like kick you right in the face and, and you go out and then you're going to be working for, you know, Adam Mazer fantasy stats.net. I don't think you can blame them for drafting a quarterback. I don't think, you know, they did that After with Aaron Rodgers. They did that with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, they did that with Favre and Rodgers. So how can you blame them? Worked out really nicely for those three. Right. It sounds like it, but it sounds like everybody got along really well. Right, but it worked it's, out in the long run, did it not? And they went from one Hall of Famer to another, and they've had you know they've had they great. Got, they got one Super Bowl each. That's that's more than most people. It's not I mean it's not Eli Manning, but it's more than most people. All right, Baltimore offensive coordinator Greg Roman said the Ravens will expand their passing game this season. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we've spent a lot of time talking about that. So we, we talked about Lamar Jackson a lot yesterday. So let's move on to the rankings, the running back rankings. And want to let you know first about what's on CBS Sports HQ this week. As always, CBS Sports HQ is your home to start your sports news day with live updates kicking off each morning at 8 a.m. Eastern. And HQ is always your home ahead of the evening's action with live picks from the best analysts and handicappers in the sports world each day at 6 p.m. Eastern. You may be thinking it's a quiet time in sports with the NFL draft over, but you're wrong. Champions League week on HQ. In fact, it's the second leg of the semis, and that means we'll have wall-to-wall coverage Tuesday and Wednesday, including the latest news, the analysis, the picks, lots of picks around both match days. So check out HQ on your computer on cbsports.com or via the CBS Sports app on your mobile phone or TV. It is always free, and it's always on. Uh, guys, we cannot go deep dive into all of these players. So let's see what we can hit here, and some we can spend more time on than others. But Dave, you have Miles Sanders 18th in PPR. Heath, you have him 11th. We did just touch on this. Heath, is there anything you'd like to add? I think this would be a good one to compare with the next one because I think I have Antonio Gibson where Dave has Miles Sanders and almost vice versa. Okay. Um, and I could see like Sanders is in a group where I could pretty easily get him down to 13 or 14 and not feel bad about it, um, about ranking him there. But I, like I said, I still think Kenneth Gainwell is a part-time player and Miles Sanders has been wildly efficient when he touches the football. And so Yards I per think carry. he's still, what's that? Yards per carry is what you mean. YPC for life. That's right. And so I like, I have a hard time imagining Antonio Gibson's going to touch the ball more than Miles Sanders does. 
I'm not sure he's going to catch the ball more than Miles Sanders does. So um, I'll take Sanders. I think he's more efficient and he gets more touches. I think Gibson's got room to improve. And this is off of a double-digit touchdown season. I think he can improve as a pass catcher. That was one of his best traits when he came out of school, and we didn't really get a chance to see it. Uh, He did well enough behind the offensive line in Washington, which was a pretty ragtag group. That group should be better up front. And I think this team still wants to run the football a decent amount. And I I think that their passing game uh, could force safeties back a little bit of the time with Fitzpatrick there and um, some other additions they made. It does hurt Antonio Gibson that uh, Curtis Samuel signed up and that J.D. McKissick is still there. That could cost him the chance at maybe 45 catches, but it wouldn't surprise me if he had 35 to 40 catches. I think that's pretty close to what he had last year. I don't have it in front of me, but I imagine that he'll be... Uh, these guys, interestingly enough, Adam, they were back-to-back in PPR points per game, Gibson ahead of Sanders. I think Gibson's got the chance to be a little bit better. I think Sanders has the chance to be a little bit worse. Maybe I'm overreacting to that a little bit by ranking Gibson as high as I have him, but I do like him, and I think he's got a chance to be a contributor in the passing game and a big-time playmaker when it comes to scoring touchdowns. And I guess, like... The touchdowns thing will be the interesting part because when I hear that they were back-to-back in fantasy points per game and Antonio Gibson scored 11 touchdowns on 206 touches and Miles Sanders scored six on 192, I would think, well, Sanders is probably going to score more next year and, and Gibson's probably going to score fewer touchdowns. So he's going to have to improve just to stay on the same level as Sanders. Well, he'll have to improve somewhere in order to stay on the same level. He had 36 catches last year, 44 targets. That's it for Antonio Gibson. I imagine that number going up. Only two running backs last year had 50 or more targets and no receiving touchdowns. Miles Sanders was one. I do not think there's a chance in hell you guys will get the other. The other running back with 50 or more targets and no touchdowns, no receiving touchdowns. I never would have gotten it. In fact, I'm going to just confirm that it's Austin Eckler. Correct. Uh, what? No. Wow, I thought you said correct, Austin Eckler. Eckler had two touchdowns. Yeah, no, it's correct. It was uh, Devin Singletary. They both. I mean, they both had fifty-two targets, which is basically low. But how about this? Kareem Hunt had fifty-one targets. He caught five touchdowns. Sanders and Singletary had fifty-two and no touchdowns, no receiving touchdowns. All right, so there's Antonio Gibson versus Miles Sanders. Next up, Najee Harris. This is why we're here, right? Najee Harris, everyone, Dave, Jamie, Heath, they all have Harris ranked 15th or 16th in the rankings. And that is behind for Dave Swift and Gibson. For Heath, behind Swift, not behind Gibson, but behind Jacobs, which I thought was interesting. Um, But only one spot behind Jacobs. But I think Najee Harris, let me just make the case for Najee Harris as a first-round pick. Should be a workhorse. Here it is. Yeah. Well, I I mean I think it's pretty I think it's a pretty valid case. I do think there are a lot of running backs that have a case for first round pick. They can't all be there, you know. But should be a workhorse. Mike Tomlin loves workhorse backs. Usually his running backs average 18 or more carries per game. I'll try to get the exact stats. He's had four or five guys finish top five in his tenure. Le'Veon Bell, Rashard Mendenhall, and James Conner. Uh four or five times. It's been three guys. We know the situation. 
And even though they have a bad offensive line, they've had a bad offensive line actually in terms of run blocking grades for a little while now, and it didn't really prevent James Conner from being very effective when he's been healthy. So, I I mean, I think the the work is unquestioned, and he can work in the passing game as well. I think That's he's got a great question. chance. I think he's got a great chance to be a an every down back in a top twelve player. I, I think the question is how many targets does he get? Because I believe the running back targets dried up a little bit last year. They had eighty for the entire team combined. Those aren't all going to go to one running back by any stretch. So I I don't know that the volume that was there for Le'Veon Bell and the volume that was there for James Conner for a year and a half or so. Um, is there potentially for Najee Harris unless they really change the offense? And maybe they will. I think it's obvious they they did not like the way they looked last year. You fire your offensive coordinator and you draft a running back in the first round. They could not run the ball last year and they completely abandoned it basically in the second half of the season. So to me, that tells me they know they need to get back to their roots. Yeah, he's not going to catch Le'Veon Bell. He's not going to have Le'Veon Bell catches. And James Conner, in 2018, had 55 catches in 13 games, so I don't see that being his pace either. But I do think he can get close to 50 in a 16-game season, so let's say 53 or whatever in a 17-game season. And uh, here's the stat. Mike Tomlin's 14 seasons. I gave this out on last Friday. Mike Tomlin's 14 seasons as head coach, a Pittsburgh lead running back, has averaged 15 or more carries 11 times, 18 or more carries 8 times, in 14 seasons. So that's just the case. But I do think you can make a case for the players ranked ahead of him as well. Uh, so, you know, I don't think it's crazy to have him ranked where you, where you have him. But I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I do think that if somebody drafted him in the first round, it would be perfectly acceptable. Dave, you don't feel that way, right? I don't feel that way as of now. And it's a, it's a combination of factors. The offensive line is an issue. I think it's an overcomable issue with Harris. Although... Let's face facts. The offensive line he ran behind at Alabama was really, really good. So I'm, I don't know how much of that was necessarily um, something that benefited Harris in college, but he's, he's, he's physical, he's tough and he's a good pass catcher. So like when I heard you say 50 catches, I thought, yeah, that's something I think he could do uh, over 17 games. If he were to say healthy for 17 games. Uh, the other thing that I do like about Harris, and this is just something that's more, you know, 50,000 foot view is he he's been a top running back prospect since he was in high school, ballyhooed and, and celebrated every step of the way he's mature. He knows everything about the running back position. He's not as inexperienced as somebody like Javante Williams, for example, who was a linebacker in high school until his last year. So I, I think the Steelers got somebody who they could certainly build their running game around, but if teams, study what the Steelers offense was last year. I I think it's going to be easy for them to, you know, load up against the run because a lot of those passes that Roethlisberger threw, they were short. They were easy. As long as the defensive backs can wrap up the receiver, they're going to be able to get some punts. Load up against the run when you have Deontay Johnson, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Chase Claypool. How often were those guys targeted 15 plus yards down. They're going to be different. I I do. Okay. That's that. Maybe that's can, where we differ. Okay. And I, yes, so that's I think the they question. can, and I think they will be different. They hated their off. They didn't like their offense last year. Right. Well, their they're quarterback isn't it. different. And their quarterback may have been dealing with some arm issues because he's almost 40 years old and he's yeah. had surgery on it. So I'm to me, it all starts with Roethlisberger and not the offensive line. If Roethlisberger isn't fresh and ready to throw deep for 17 games, 
Uh, I'm nervous. I'm nervous about what this offense will look like. And if they try and change it, say, okay, we're going to mix in more deep balls. That doesn't mean that they're going to necessarily connect on them all. There's a lot of research that needs to be done here. I like Harris, and I think the opportunity is there for him to get a lot of work. That's why he's in the mix as a top 15 or 16 fantasy running back. I think you might be stretching it a little bit, especially given how many other running backs that actually look pretty damn good this year. Why, why would I stretch for Harris well, when I can go and get another really good running back who? ahead of him? DeAndre well, Swift, Antonio Gibson, you're going to tell me that they are clearly better than, for, for, than Harris? Forget about them, because I don't think anybody has either of them in the top 10 running backs. No, but uh, you guys I have, have Gibson ahead of Harris. And if we're talking about as a first-round pick, you're not going to take Najee Harris ahead of Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, or Travis Kelsey, are you? No. Okay, so you, you got to get him in the top could, nine running backs to get in the first round. It, it's it's a little easier to do in a non PPR league to do that. Agreed. And if if Aaron Rodgers gets traded, then all bets are off with Adams. Yeah, and non PPR, I'd still take Tyreek over Harris for sure and Kelsey. But hmm. yeah, I mean, it's not that you, it's not. I think you could argue that Swift Gibson range of does maybe he deserve to be a top twelve running back. Um, but I don't think he's going to get into the top nine. I also think fantasy managers might be a little gun shy to take a rookie running back after what happened to last year's first run rookie running back. Yeah, but two running backs finished top six last year. And here's one. Right. One, one more. of them was found in round 17. It doesn't. That wouldn't matter to me. But here's a, one more oh, argument okay. for rookies in general. I do think the 17 game season helps. And I don't know that it's going to matter for Harris because he's going to get big work right out of the gate. But with a lot of the rookie running backs and with the rookie wide receivers, they they almost always get off to slow starts. So having an extra week of good production could help. You know, what if we had an extra week of Jonathan Taylor? What if we had an extra week of DeAndre Swift, extra week of Antonio Gibson, uh, Justin Jefferson? I think it's going to help the rookies, but it won't matter for Harris because he'll he'll be the workhorse out of the gate. His competition stinks too, right? I mean, they're not, they're not taking sure. him off the field for those guys. 100%. Uh, but Travis Etienne's a different story. Everybody's got him... Oh, as a low end, I guess it's called a low end number two option right now. Nineteenth to twenty third overall in full PPR. Nineteenth to twenty third. So Heath, how did you arrive on your ranking of Travis Etienne? He's one of the guys I actually boosted above his projection. I think his projection had him around twenty seventh or twenty eighth. Um, but there's too much upside to rank him that low. So I just basically moved him to the top of the guys, like right after Miles Gaskin. Um and you've got a you've got a group of running backs, Mike Davis, Chase Edmonds, Melvin Gordon, um, Raheem Mostert, James Conner. Like I, those guys could all be better than Travis Etienne this year. But I would rather, um, and I'll throw Green Hunt into that as well. I'd rather go with with Etienne. It does kind of sound like their current plan for Etienne's role is the same as what Kareem Hunt's has been. Um, but I can't imagine that lasts more than a month. And, and then what happens? That's after an that? example of why the seventeen that seventeen game season could help Travis Etienne. Right. I I would assume he's going to earn more and more work. Listen, mm-hmm. the only thing I give hesitation about that is it's a seventeen game season, and so I think we'll see more teams that don't want to give any running back eighteen touches a game. Um, and James Robinson is good, and so if he's averaging four and a half yards per carry. And having success in his role, maybe it doesn't change that much. He's good, but I don't know if he fits into what they want all the time at running back. So he might be wedged into the, we're ready to run between the tackles. We're ready to kill the clock. We're ready to score a touchdown because we're at the goal line. 
that's something that Robinson can do. But I, I think ETN could evolve into Jacksonville's version of Alvin Kamara, where he's out in space and they get him the ball and they feed him the ball to make explosive plays. And it's a lot of the same stuff that he was doing at Clemson. And that offense is going to be, I'm going to say this every time we talk about him and Lawrence until the season starts. They know this offense. They're already familiar with it. You know, conceptually, there might be things different here and there, but this is going to work really nicely for ETN. And I think he's a candidate for 40 plus receptions, which is great for him. And I think his playing time, it wouldn't surprise me if he was getting 10 carries per game, working on the outside edges, trying to win the edge and, and, you know, pick up a block and turn a three or four yard play for James Robinson into a 15 yard play for ETN because he's got that type of explosiveness. I think people are going to be after him on draft day. People are going to want him. So if you're putting him behind the likes of Miles Gaskin, for example, you're never going to get him. If you're drafting Gaskin before ETN, you're never going to get him. And there is enough upside there in this <laughs> offense where I think ETN is going to be worth the squeeze of an early fourth-round pick. Go ahead, Ethan. <laughs> um, man, I Sorry. thought there was a Miles Gaskin slander there I need to address, but um, I don't... Oh, you said one of the things you said was that they know this offense. They go in knowing exactly what they're and I think maybe it'd be good to expand on that a little bit. Sure. Because you look at it, we've got Urban Meyer as a head coach. Neither of them played for Urban Meyer. You've got um their offensive coordinator, Daryl Bevel, has been in the NFL for a long time, not running Clemson's offense. So like what you think when looking at their tendencies, it'd be better to look at what they did at Clemson than what Meyer or um Bevel has done? I wouldn't look at anything Bevel's done. I don't think Urban Meyer is handing off the offense to Daryl Bevel and saying, let's run what you've been doing. I think he's got Bevel there to take Urban Meyer's offense and make it you know, more adaptable to the pro game. Because you think Dabo Swinney's offense said, is a replica of Urban Meyer's offense? I think, I think, what, whose offense? You, you think Clemson's offense was a replica of Urban Meyer's offense? Not exactly, but it's a lot of shotgun runs, a lot of you know, running back is right next to the quarterback in shotgun, a lot of spread formations, a lot of quick throws, quick decisions, a lot of stuff that we saw from Ohio state. And then from Florida, even before that. And my guess is that that's what we're going to see is that up-tempo approach from Jacksonville. They've got, and that's honestly, it's what Trevor Lawrence has been running since he was in high school, go back and watch some of his high school highlights and games, whatever you can find. He's in shotgun the whole time. He's throwing passes to the, to, you know, off to the sidelines after the snap a decent amount of the time. He's throwing slants a bunch of the time. That's what this offense is going to be. It's definitely going to be a little bit geared toward what Clemson did, but it's going to have a lot of the same principles that urban Myers had there. They didn't hire urban Meyer to pass off his acumen for the offense to Daryl Bevel. They're building this thing to make it comfortable for Trevor Lawrence, and it just so happens that they were able to get ETN, and it's going to be comfortable for him too. So I think I think the learning curve, like I said this for Burrow last year, it's going to be flattened for Lawrence. He'll be ready to go for week one. In this case, the running back will be too. It's going to be an easier learning curve for ETN than it will be for James Robinson, and ETN's a better fit than James Robinson. Okay. I didn't know if Heath was going to hop on there. Um, so... ETN, you said 40 catches. I, I'd be pretty disappointed with that. How many did you project him for, Heath? 49. Yeah. I, I, he's got the chance. Would you think he has the chance for 60, 70? Yes. A lot but of upside. Last time I projected a rookie running back to get 70 catches, he had under 40. 
So is that's going to be a little conservative on the on the catches. Swift had forty six in thirteen games last year. Who was who are you talking about? Uh, Gibson. Oh, Gibson. Okay. Swift had forty six in thirteen games, so he was on pace for fifty seven catches in sixteen games, and uh, yeah, maybe that maybe Etn could get to sixty or something like that. A lot of upside, but you know. <laughs> James Robinson did a really nice job, so you got to say there's some downside with Travis Etienne as well. Let's talk about uh, Miles Gaskin and Mike Davis then, because they're both ranked behind Travis Etienne. Gaskin is slightly ahead of Davis, but you're basically looking at the back end of the top 24. Etienne, Gaskin, Davis. It's not 22, 23, 24, but it's fairly close to that. Um, so, Dave, Gaskin versus Davis again. It's it's almost even, but you you both have Gaskin slightly ahead, and you both have them as low end number two guys. I think he'll be better equipped to handle a full season's worth. Well, I can't say that because he got hurt last year, but I, I think he's got the chance to catch more passes and um, do a little bit better in the Dolphins' offense than Davis will. I'm turned off by Davis slowing down last year um, in Carolina when he had the opportunity. With McCaffrey, you know, he he came out like gangbusters as the starter there, and then uh, I, I could look it up, but he was not strong down the stretch for Carolina, and that makes me a little bit nervous. I also think that um, the Falcons have kind of made it clear what their offense is going to look like. They kept Matt Ryan, they added Kyle Pitts. So far, Julio Jones is still on the team, and their only significant change at running back is Davis. I don't see them doing. I, I see them being a full one eighty of what Arthur Smith did with the Titans offense. Gaskin got a lot of playing time with the Dolphins last year. Usually when he played, it was a minimum of 60% of the snaps, caught a decent amount of passes as well. And I I, I think he's got a chance to be useful. I don't know if there's somebody on the Dolphins roster that's going to knock him out. Not that I think there's anybody on the Falcons roster that's going to knock out Davis, but I think he'll be more uh, effective and productive for fantasy. Okay. Yeah, num- I think, the I think we're all too low on Miles Gaskin. Are the numbers on Davis real quick? Sorry, Heath. First three games without McCaffrey. This is what Dave was alluding to. First three games without McCaffrey, he averaged uh, 4.9 yards per carry, was on pace for 117 catches, scored 22 or more points in PPR in all three games. That's you know that's elite. First top five pick. Uh, last nine games without Christian McCaffrey. And remember, there was one game where McCaffrey came back against the Chiefs. But removing that, the last nine games without McCaffrey... He averaged 3.55 yards per carry, was on pace for 46 catches, two games with more than 11 PPR fantasy points. That is bad. The schedule did get a lot tougher, but what does that mean? That we're never going to want to start him against any decent opponent? And when you sit there and you say, well, there's nobody on the team they would ever replace him for, uh, and I said that about Najee Harris, so I don't want to be a hypocrite. But just generally speaking, I found that that's just less true than than we might think it is. And all you have to do is look at Todd Gurley. Did we ever think that no matter how bad Todd Gurley was, that he would get benched for Brian Hill and Ito Smith? You know, these things happen. And for Gaskin, you know, Savannah, let me just read you what the ESPN.com Dolphins writer wrote. His draft question for the Dolphins, post-draft question was, will Miles Gaskin be the lead running back again? The hope was the Dolphins would draft one of the top, one of the three top-tier running backs, but all three went off the board before the team's number 36 pick, blah, blah, blah. Gaskin surprisingly took over the Dolphins' lead role last year with moderate success, but there is room for an upgrade. Gaskin struggled to stay healthy for the full season. 
So it's true. Yeah, and and I don't know. I mean, I know he was good because he cut a lot of passes, but I think he was mostly good because of volume. And Savan Ahmed and Malcolm Brown could be a bigger factor than we think. So Heath, you say we're too low on Miles Gaskin. Why do you say that? Well, I just think if we're going to talk about upside with running backs in this range, we should acknowledge the upside that Miles Gaskin showed us last year. Um, <clears throat> like yep. he is mm. seven of his final eight games. You don't look at the last game of the season. That's whatever. But like he was averaging 20 touches a game. He was on pace for 1,700 yards and 10 touchdowns. And he was really mostly very good. So like he's shown us if they use him in that role this year, he's probably going to be a top 12 fantasy running back. If he stays healthy. And if I could just make Which is this, true for all of them. Of course, but with we're talking about Gaskin who missed some time last year. He only ended up playing in 10 games. Two if of I could make you COVID. squirm. Yeah, he did miss two for COVID. But he that's also true. missed time. He would have right. So theoretically he wouldn't have that this year. Um, first six games, he averaged 13 PPR points per game. That's pretty good. It's not great. Did you check out his last two games? The last two games of the season includes week 17, obviously. 50 PPR points combined in those last two games. It's a third of his total from the year. I don't know if that means great he ended the year strong or uh, he was a you know he, he only was able to put up big numbers when it didn't really matter for fantasy. It mattered to the Dolphins. They were fighting for a playoff spot. I don't know how to necessarily take that and say if it's a positive or a negative, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if I've got a follow-up to that, but it's something that stood out to me that a third of his fantasy points came in the last two weeks of the season. Well, he also, like the you could say his last three games because week 13 against Cincinnati had 141 total yards. He certainly um, produced, man. But uh, let, yeah. me give, let me give you another stat. Tell me if you care about this. Tuatunga Vailoa threw 15.4% of his passes to running backs. Ryan Fitzpatrick threw 21.4%. Now, to get this number, I eliminated the two games in which Tua was replaced by Fitzpatrick. So I just looked at seven starts and finishes for Fitz, seven starts and finishes for Tua. A lot of Gaskin's catches came with Fitzpatrick. He was much more likely to throw to running backs. I can't say that Tua is going to keep that tendency in year two, but that is what happened in year one. How are we classifying throws to Lynn Bowden? Not at running back. I did not count Lynn Bowden. Okay. Yeah, I, and I shouldn't have, right? I mean, he wasn't playing running back. He lined up in a variety of places. Right. I don't know which of his targets were as a running back and which of his targets were as a wide receiver. I'm fine with you not including Bowden. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if that matters. I don't think it matters. It doesn't really matter to me. But the, well, it matters that a lot if, if the Dolphins so choose this year, they can play Gaskin and Bowden at the same time, which they did at points last season. Um, also, a, a large chunk of Tua's time as a starter was when Miles Gaskin wasn't on the field. Also true. Yes, he had five or more targets in three of his last four games, which I think were all with Tua. So, well, partially. Tua would start right. them and get benched because he wasn't as good as Ryan Fitzpatrick. Right, and I did have to take those out, those games out. He wasn't as good. Uh, okay, uh, let's uh, let's move on then. Well, so hold on. Let me do one more. Let me just look at the rankings here. Would you rather have Miles Gaskin or, and let's go to our next one, Chase Edmonds. And you guys all have Chase Edmonds ranked ahead of James Conner. So first, Gaskin or Edmonds? Gaskin. I got Gaskin ahead of Edmonds. Why Edmonds ahead of Connor? And and by the way, everybody in PPR, Jamie Davey, they all have Gask, they all have Edmonds ahead of Connor in PPR. In non PPR, 
Dave and Jamie still have Connor. No, start, still have Edmonds ahead. Heath has Connor ahead in non PPR, but in full PPR, Heath. Why is everybody on the Edmonds train? I think he's going to catch a lot more passes than James Connor. I mean, that's that obviously the separator for me. I think it's a, it's more interesting a discussion in non PPR, but I I also think that Chase Edmonds at this stage of their careers is more explosive than James Conner. And when he does run the ball, it's probably going to be in situations that aren't as obvious of run situations. So he will probably have a larger or a bigger yards per carry just because it'll be more in passing downs. I do worry just a little bit that Edmonds, that I haven't um, factored in Rondale Moore's impact on Edmonds enough yet. Because I do think there's a chance Rondale Moore takes some of the targets and some of the routes that Edmonds had last year. Why would you rank Edmonds ahead when he had he had uh, 53 catches, Kenyon Drake had 25, and Drake walloped him in PPR. Drake was RB15 and Edmonds was RB25. Touchdowns were a big reason for that. But do you think Connor will have the same role as Drake or do you think it'll when be he, more of when a he's split? healthy, when he's healthy? Yeah. I don't know how healthy he's going to be. That's been a problem for Connor the past few seasons and he could play 17 games this year. Things happen. It's the NFL. But I also believe that the Cardinals are kind of ready to give Chase Edmonds a little bit more. Keith brought up the catches that he had last year. And Adam, you said it, 53 catches, 67 targets. That was when he was playing less than half the snaps. Chase Edmonds played 48.5% of the snaps last year. So right there, I think that goes up. Even with Connor there, even if Connor looks good in the preseason, I think Edmonds plays more snaps. The, the, the problem is that we can't really say that there's a lot of evidence that Chase Edmonds can do great things with a lot of work. We have seen it. There have been a couple of games over the past two years where, by because of injuries, Edmonds is basically the last man standing. The Cardinals ride him. He puts up good numbers. I think there's probably some hesitation in having him do that from week to week. I think that's part of the reason why they got Connor. They were obviously comfortable enough with Connor to pair with Edmonds that they didn't bother trying to draft anybody else. But there's still Kyler Murray there. And Murray scored a bunch of red zone touchdowns last year. And Chase Edmonds has one career carry inside the five-yard line. So I like him significantly better. I don't know if it's a a lot better and certainly more than Connor. I like him better in PPR for the obvious reasons. He can catch 50 balls. And I think after having 850 total yards last year, I think he can get to over 1,000 total yards this year. But I do worry about those leagues where catches don't count. How many touchdowns does he really but you have? Also, but you have him ahead of Connor in that format, too. And so does I, Jamie. I understand, and because I think that he's got the better chance to rack up more total yards than Connor does. The only way Connor will catch him is if he has double-digit touchdowns. And I'm not, I'm, I don't have projections for the Cardinals, but I don't think Connor quite gets there. Yeah. I, I have James Connor projected for 8.2 touchdowns and 6.5 for Edmonds. Worth noting that yeah, Kenyon, so that's a difference Drake... Of, 14 or 12 fantasy points if I'm just rounding them to whole numbers. Kenyon Drake had 10 rushing touchdowns last year and much of them came after. He was much better after Kyler Murray got injured because that's when Murray stopped running as much and Mm -hmm. Drake benefited from it. Uh, In fact, it was the, the last seven games he was a top 13 running back. The first eight games he was not in the top 20. I know we always give credit to Kyle Murray on this show for how good he was before he got hurt and um, that being his true upside. But do we worry about the fact that he got hurt and ran less after he got hurt might encourage Mm. them to have him run less this year? 
then you would have expected them to do more to address their run game than add James Conner after subtracting Kenyon Drake. They added Rondell Moore too. But he isn't going to get a ton of carries. He will. He's going to help Kyler in a completely different way than what the running backs are going to do. What I think. What I think the Cardinals' offseason told us is that they're going to continue to build around Kyler, and Rondale is a direct correlation to building around Kyler as a passer. Right. His and, types of targets replace yep. runs. Yeah. Which is great for Kyler, and it'll be good for Rondale Moore. It'll suck for Connor and Chase Edmonds. What was the week that Kyler got hurt? The Seahawks eleven game. against Seattle. Uh, was, it was it that late Seattle, in the year? I think sure. it was eight games of each. So I want to say it was week nine. Mm-hmm. I think it was a little later than that. Okay, it was it was the second Seattle game? Right. We have that. That was week eleven. Okay. Yeah, Dave nailed it. Um. So from week twelve on, yeah, the rush attempts were pretty much. I mean, they were twenty three, thirty one, thirty nine, forty one, six. Right, six point six rush attempts per game. Whereas in the first 10 games, or first 10 weeks, I should say, 9.7 rush attempts. You guys are counting His rush attempts things. went down. His rushing averages went down. He scored one rushing touchdown. Yeah. And his passing was worse, too. Yes, it was. <sighs> his passing's kind of mediocre in the first place. Not if you look, at the, first, awesome. not if you look at the before the injury. He was, at least his numbers. I mean, you talk about, what, 4,100 4, yards? And I don't remember what it was, but it was, he was terrific. He was the number one quarterback in fantasy. I think yeah, Hopkins but it was a, had lot a lot of that to do with, with his it. rushing for him to be the number one quarterback in fantasy. He's a he's a he's a good passer, and adding Rondell Moore should help him quite a bit. All right, we got to take a break, and we have not talked about Javante Williams. We haven't talked that much about Michael Carter, so uh, Trey Sermon as well. When we come back, we'll finish up with those three rookies on fantasy football today. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews, or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Just a few more running backs to get to, and the Champions League is close to crowning a champion with the second leg of the semifinals this week. The Kegolazzo podcast provides previews, recaps, analysis, and betting tips for Champions League and Europa League. So listen in as the team chats with UEFA team insiders to give their picks on which team takes home the Champions League title. Follow Kegolazzo wherever you find this podcast. So let's talk about the Broncos Dave, you have Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams back-to-back. Heath, you have Melvin Gordon pretty far ahead of Javante Williams. Dave, first word, Gordon and Williams back-to-back. I hate that I've got Gordon ahead of Williams, but I I think I've got it there because I think Melvin's got a, got a chance to be the lead guy to begin the season and then still have a big enough piece of it by the midseason and the end of the season. Like The, the only real way that Javante Williams is going to be 
like a heavy volume stud is if Melvin Gordon misses time. Broncos made it clear. They love Javante Williams. They they raved about him after the draft, and every team raves about every prospect after the draft. But they also said, we envision us using multiple running backs all the time. And they have Mike Boone. So they might end up using three guys in that backfield. And Melvin is probably still somebody that they will trust in short yardage goal line situations. And even though Javante Williams was considered a very good pass protector coming out of UNC, uh, I think it's going to take some time for the Broncos to commit to him working in that role, even though Melvin Gordon wasn't really that good at it. I, I think it's going to be a mess. I, I'm, I'm half tempted to avoid the entire Broncos run game just because there's going to be so much mixing and matching, but I do love the talent of Javante Williams. And that's probably the reason why I've got him ranked as high as I do is because I just think the talent is there. And I've usually learned to just trust talent in a situation like this. But as Heath has pointed out many a time, Melvin Gordon wasn't bad. In the past couple of years, he's averaged 75 total yards per game. He's had nine touchdowns at minimum each of those past two years. He just hasn't been consistent for fantasy. It's hard to imagine him being good and consistent if he's getting less work because Javante Williams is there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a committee um, that Javante Williams is the second part of as long as Melvin Gordon is healthy. And then if Melvin Gordon gets hurt, I think he's going to be the, the head of a committee, but he's still going to be in a committee. I don't think he's necessarily a full-time back, and I'm not sure he's on a team that really wants a full-time back. Exactly. They've said as much. Okay. They don't want it. Now, th- there's always the caveat that, well, what if Melvin Gordon is just eh, and Mike Boone is just eh, and Javante Williams is amazing. They're not going to purposely put an amazing player on the bench 50% of the time. They're going to ride him. Mm-hmm. But that's what that's what we need to have happen for Javante Williams to be a reliable fantasy running back. If you're drafting him, if you're drafting him before round six, you're in, or even in round six, you're kind of projecting a little that he's just going to overtake and move the, Melvin Gordon, who's been a reliable for NFL purposes, a reliable running back, just completely move him off the chessboard. To be clear, a much better running back prospect when he came out than Javante Williams. He came out. He's in his sixth season, though. You know, twenty-eight yeah. years old. Yep. And Javante's just turned twenty-one. And Mike, right? I think you need season? to be consistent here. He just had his second best year. Well, YPC for life. Yeah, he he did, um, but he wasn't a pass catcher like he was with the Chargers. No, which was surprising, if not disappointing. I, you know what, I I can't help but say this, and I feel like. A lot of people feel this way or will feel this way. I'm waiting for Melvin Gordon to just fade away. I feel like it's about to happen, you know, and it happens so quickly with running backs. Devontae yep. Freeman, uh, Todd Gurley, it happens so quickly, and I just feel like Melvin Gordon is next. I've got a bad I've got a bad feeling about it. I wouldn't say I feel like that's going to happen. I've got a bad feeling that he could but, be next. I don't think anybody's saying to draft him as a top twenty five running back. It's more about Williams, because if that does happen, then I think Williams is one of those players that could be one of those two running backs that finishes, two rookie running backs that finishes top 12. It's just he needs Melvin Gordon to to fade away. To fade. Yeah. Right. And if, and if he doesn't fade away, then he's going to get work. Yeah. We've oh, already yeah. talked but, about it. How? Yeah. I'd am not th- no, 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 like, like Boone is what, not a threat. What are you looking for when you draft Melvin Gordon? What, what, what are you hoping to have happen? 
I'm so not he gets drafting off to a good him. start for your team. I think that's honestly, I think that's all you can really ask for when you draft him. I'm not drafting. That's why I don't think he's a good round six pick. The splits when Philip Lindsay was healthy were not encouraging. They just did no. not get enough work. So I'm not, I don't think I want to draft him. And I don't think, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, the I'm problem is, him if I go zero RB, I don't want this committee. Yeah, I, you could make a good argument for Javante Williams if he was going to be a, an eighth round pick, like the clear second running back yes. in Denver. That's not the way it's going to be drafted. But that's why I was think saying he'll end up getting drafted. Why is this different round than Dobbins? Six. That why is this different from Dobbins? And that's where because J.K. Dobbins is a very good running back. But prospect. Mark Ingram was coming off a top and, ten year, and you knew said, there's Dobbins, no way he can replace it. And you knew J.K. Dobbins he was yeah. thirty. Right, but you knew J.K. Dobbins was not going to be involved in the passing game at all. So Williams had 25 catches last year. Uh, I I don't see like I'm not saying yeah you're right Heath I agree with you we're actually on the same page you said you think he's going to get drafted in round six that's what I think too because I think it's going to be just like Dobbins and Swift and all those guys who Swift was really not competing with great veterans here but that's where those guys went last year and I I think that's where Miles Sanders actually ended up two years ago. So I do think that's where Javante Williams is going to end just, up. Just a, a reminder that like J.K. Dobbins was a much better running back prospect than Javante Williams. Still we, is. He's a much better. Yes. Like we shouldn't. That's not a fair comparison for Javante Williams. I think that you are much lower on Javante Williams than a lot of other people are. You have mentioned his size speed. Yes. However, we get reports from trusted NFL writers saying that some teams have him as the number one back on their board. A lot of people saying he could be a surprise first-round pick. He went where Jonathan Taylor went last year in the draft. So he went earlier than J.K. Dobbins went. So I like and, I love Dobbins. Dobbins, sure. I, Dobbins was, when I looked at the stretch he had at Ohio State against top competition in the stretch of the season, he's rushing for 150 yards every single game. And this guy is a beast. Um yeah, I mean, I would say he's a better prospect, but I think that we are probably lower on Javante Williams than a lot of NFL people are. That's the sense I get anyway. I, I think if you asked NFL people to rank Javante Williams in last year's class, it would have been a different answer. Yes, maybe, that's but fair. They're not gonna but would have, they, yeah. they would have said the same thing with Najee, too. Yeah, maybe. Okay, uh, 49ers. It's very similar to the Broncos. Dave has Mostert and Sermon back-to-back. Heath has Mostert well ahead. Heath, go ahead. I think I have Sermon and Wilson back to back. Um, and I thought I was going to be the Trey Sermon guy before the draft. I just, I still think when Raheem Mostert's been healthy, and I don't know that he's actually suffered that many more injuries per touch than Jeff Wilson or Trey Sermon has over the last three years. Um, when Mostert's been healthy, he's just been so electric. And so I have to assume he gets the first crack at it. And I don't think he's going to lose it until he gets hurt. And, like evidence suggests you could make a pretty good argument that if any of these guys gets 15 touches for six straight weeks, they're very likely to get hurt because that's what their history suggests. It's what Kyle Shanahan's history suggests too. It's just rotating packs in and out and he's going to take them out when one gets hurt. He just puts another one in there. There's a lot of digging that I did on this. Um, for example, the 49ers have not had a back-to-back rushing leader under Kyle Shanahan. Last year it was Wilson. He only had 600 yards. No big deal. Mostert the year before, 772. Matt Burita the year before that. So there hasn't necessarily been that type of year-to-year consistency between their running backs. Three running backs under 200 touches in 2018. Three running backs under 160 touches in 2019. Three running backs under 150 touches in 2020. Rookie running backs under Kyle Shanahan. No one 
has had uh, at even 200 touches uh, since Alfred Morris. If, if we count Alfred Morris as being under Kyle Shanahan, you might say that he was under Mike Shanahan. But we're talking about a stop with the Browns, a couple of years with Atlanta, and then the four years in San Francisco. Rookies don't get a lot of work. And Shanahan, this is just the cherry on top, he hasn't had a single 1,000-yard rusher and has only given any of his running backs over 200 touches um, with the 49ers. Carlos Hyde did get over 200 in 2017, but even he didn't get 1,000 rushing yards when he did it. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be a hodgepodge. And so if you draft any 49ers running back, you kind of have to make a promise to yourself that you're going to wait it out until this the running back you chose has an opportunity to play. The one thing about Mostert is you figure he'll, it's almost like Melvin Gordon. He's a zero RB target. You're hoping that he's the lead guy to begin the season and you just you write him out until he breaks down or until he stinks and gets replaced and you go in a different direction. He's not going to stink. No. I don't think he he's the great. only way he he's stinks awesome. is if he's, he's not fast. playing or if he limps off during the game. He had and the I will fastest say- he was the fastest ball carrier last year. He ran 23.1 miles per hour. He had the fastest time. Trey Sermon is not fast. I don't know what he would be in the open field cuz this team blocks very well. They get their running backs to the next level, but I, like he he ran a very slow. He ran like a four six. Uh, so Mo, Mostert, I just like, he's good. He's good, and he was the starter last year. And they treated him like the starter at the beginning of the season. He's good. I hope they do it again. And then what did they do after that? When he came back from the injury, I don't think he no, even he had fifty percent of the snaps in any game. They split with Wilson. But he is the only running back in San Francisco over the past three years to average fifteen touches per game. That's, that's true. So that's why he's probably the one you're targeting if you're desperate for running back help to start the season. And I don't have a problem with you getting Mostert, and then if, if Sermon's around a couple of rounds later, you get him too. But we, to, to me, the, the Sermon pick, and remember, they drafted two running backs. The Sermon pick was more of an attack and an indictment on Wilson than it was so, on Mostert. It was kind of an indictment on both of them, but it was more on Wilson than it was on Mostert. Which I think that's probably me. the place. Like I've got Jeff Wilson still projected for like a hundred some touches. If if he was not part of the equation, then Sermon wouldn't be very far behind Mostert for me at all. Okay. All right, guys. Last one is the Jets. Michael Carter, twenty eighth for Dave, thirty sixth for Heath. And Heath, you actually have Tevin Coleman on the Jets. You have Tevin Coleman ahead of Michael Carter. Yeah, I don't. Um... Again, I I don't really think that Carter is a full time back. Sermon Coleman is a back that the San Francisco coaches brought with them from San Francisco. I expect he's going to be the starter at the beginning of the year, and again, he'll probably get hurt at some point. But I don't think Carter. And when that happens, I think it's going to be a split between Carter and Pirine. I'd be stunned. It's the worst running game I, in football. <laughs> it's right. It's a bad. It's a bad team that I expect will follow the San Francisco blueprint of using their running backs, which means they're always using two only. They're probably not going to average five yards per carry as a team. Yeah. I'm probably a little irrationally excited about Carter and none of these three guys. Well, maybe I don't know. Like if you were ranking the six running backs we've talked about from the 49ers and the jets is Carter fourth, Mm. maybe third. The one difference is that I think Carter is the best talent in New York. And so maybe there's a chance that he could have a bigger share of the work than, Wait, uh, than maybe another running back in San Francisco could have over the balance of many, many weeks. I think most, Mostert's the only one I can definitively say is 
better than Carter. I can't really be definitive. I've never seen Carter play at this level. But that's the only easy call for me. I mean, Tevin Coleman, I think, stinks. He's always been basically the second best running back on his team. And since he had a huge game against Some Carolina. Would say so with Michael Carter. Maybe. But um, yeah, but he was still really damn good when he was <laughs> the second running back on his team. Tevin Coleman has been garbage since that three touchdown game against Carolina in the midseason of 2019. He's been like honestly terrible since then. Um, Michael P. Ryan, I don't, I don't think we think much of him. But why you can't be convinced that Trey Sermon is better than Michael Carter? That's it was a just total toss up. Right. I'm not convinced. I thought Trey Sermon was better going into the draft. Okay. Um, I certainly think Trey Sermon in San Francisco. Um, if they get the same amount of touches, would be a more f- efficient running back. Than more Michael efficient Carter running back, gets. but he would be probably completely uninvolved in the passing game, whereas Carter won't be. I don't think he'll be completely uninvolved. No, uh, Sermon can catch. No, the I ball. think he. I think Sermon can have a role in the passing game. I mean, that's what, one of the San things Francisco that is nice back, about Sermon. San Francisco running backs don't really do that, though. Not no. really their thing. Um, I think. I'm gonna look not the last a heavy two amount. years. I I think it's because it gets chopped up so much. Okay, they were seventh in running back target rate last year. Twenty four percent of their passes went to running backs. Hmm. Okay, but they did well, and they threw a decent amount last year. Middle of the pack, they had McKinnon that helped. And I wouldn't expect the Jets with all the 49ers coaches to necessarily throw their running backs more than the 49ers do. I think the Jets could build a very nice short area passing game with more Crowder and Carter. And those guys can all work for each other and help each other get open and make plays for each other. And when I say make plays, I mean, like, gain seven yards on third and 12, make some plays, get some numbers. Um, But I I think Carter's a great fit for New York. Like, I, I would be raving about Carter if he had gone to San Francisco with the obvious caveat that in San Francisco, the, his competition would be much harder than it is in New York. His competition is weak in New York, and he's a great fit there. That offensive line's getting better. The quarterback play should theoretically be better, but I could also see Zach Wilson lean on Carter. The one thing that Carter is terrible at is pass blocking, too. So when it's third and long, he won't be on the field. But when it's third and short or second and long, I bet you see him on there a decent amount of time, and he's probably going to run a route. And he can, he can do good things on screens. He is he is very good at his lateral agility is very good. He's got a chance to make plenty of plays after the catch, and he's good at running and making his cut uh, on outside zone. You're going to see him get some good numbers. Okay, um, like I hesitate if I want to say this or not. Say it, um, say it. Michael Carter yes. was a lot better runner in college than Michael P. Ryan. Athletically, no they are very, very, very similar. They were drafted in the same round, and P. Ryan had a 40-catch 40 40 catch year in college. I don't know that there's like this wide gap between Michael Carter and LaMichael. Like I, I would take Carter over P. Ryan, but I don't know that we have a lot of evidence that Carter's a lot better at like third down stuff. Or... Is Ty Johnson still on the roster? Yeah. Uh, that could be the guy. That takes him off the field in third downs, or Tevin Coleman. Could how about do it. how about Lamichael P. Ryan takes Tevin Coleman off the field on first down and second down? Maybe. How about <laughs> well, Lamichael P. Ryan is Carter's the best a better early back. down back than P. Ryan? No question. Carter's <laughs> uh, their best early down back already. But Carter, but 
at looking his just at the numbers and the measurables, I don't know what would say Michael Carter is definitely a better pass catching back than Pete P. Ryan earned a larger share of the targets on his team and had a 40 catch season. Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, that uh, no better way to end it than with Jets running back talk. So mm. we will end it right there. Actually, good discussions today. Appreciate it, guys. That's Dave Richard and Heath Cummings. I'm Adam Azer. We're back tomorrow with wide receiver rankings disputes. We'll talk to you then. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.